We are uh, continuing our series on wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And uh, this morning we're looking at uh, specifically this, this idea of pride and humility. And I, I don't know if you, you hear this. I mean, you, you hear particularly verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, this might sound familiar to you. It's quoted multiple times in the New Testament. It is a, uh, not only a, a, a verse that is well known, but it is then repeated in other parts of Scripture. Uh, it's a phrase that uh, has been used outside of uh, Christianity as well. Uh, it's um, something we may have heard. And, and maybe you think, you hear about this and you think uh, about, a, can you think about a prideful person? You know somebody who's really prideful and hard to be around uh, as a result. Uh, they're the worst, aren't they? Um, it's so, so nice to be better than they are. Um, this is often what we do. We think of uh, all kinds of uh, sin or all kinds of problems, and, and we think it's a, a them problem. Uh, pride is clearly this issue that we have, and it plays out in all kinds of ways in our hearts continually. Um, and you know, we think, um, man, at least we're not like, the people from that political party, can you believe what they think, what they believe, what they do? Um, and it could be, we think that for either party or we think, oh my goodness, at least I'm not like that person that just obviously doesn't even care about the, the slob that they are. They got to get their stuff together, right? And at the same time, we see somebody else and like, oh, they just care too much about what they think. They got to wear all the name brands and I got it right perfect here in the middle, Right. Or we're driving and, oh my goodness, at least I'm not like that person that drives so fast. That is reckless and dangerous. Also, thank goodness I'm not like that person that drives so slow and cautiously. That is just crazy. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I do, I, I get driving just right and I get the speed just right every time. Uh, and, and, you know, it can play out in, in these ways that seem silly, but it plays out in really deep ways in our hearts. And we find that here in... Proverbs 16, we find it um, in our lives all the time, is that our tendency is very quickly to move to pride. And I I want to note that we're going to see how pride plays out, that it doesn't always play out in thinking that we're we're the best or that we're better. It also plays out in shame. Shame actually, uh, and and low self-esteem, often works itself out of uh, what is really at its root, pride. And, And we'll look at that in a moment. But we're going to just take this very simply, and we're going to ask uh, the question is, what is pride? What are its results? What is humility, and what are its results? And obviously, pride and humility are contrasted. They're given as two different options uh, throughout Scripture. So what is pride, and what are its results? And then what is humility and its results? Uh, So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll take a look. Lord, we pray that you would dive deep into our hearts and that you would, even if it's painful, reveal pride within us so that we might root it out and that we might uh, turn to you and trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's helpful to note uh, as we start that it can sometimes be a little bit confusing as we talk about the word pride because uh, in English, it, it almost has two meanings. So if a parent says, you know, I'm really proud of If I say I'm really proud of my son or I'm really proud of my daughters, uh, there's an appropriateness to that kind of of pride, that definition of pride of taking pleasure in uh, something that is good about another person. But I think we understand when we think about pride 
uh, in this biblical term here, in this, uh, this concept of really thinking too, either thinking too highly of ourselves or, or just simply thinking too much about ourselves, making ourselves the center, which again, doesn't always play out in thinking highly of ourselves. It can play out in thinking too lowly of ourselves, but, but it is thinking too much about ourselves. And, and as we dive into what, what does that mean and how does that play out, I think it's helpful for us to note as we've talked about and defined wisdom as growing in the skill and becoming skilled in the art of godly living or skilled in the art of godly relationships, the reality is that pride uh, destroys, it distorts relationship. It distorts relationship first and foremost with the Lord. And just to mention again, when we see the Lord in all caps uh, in the Old Testament, it is this word, uh, Yahweh, and uh, we see it in verse 20. Uh, it is the, the word, the Hebrew word Yahweh that means I am, and it is, it is a personal name for God who says, I want to be your God and you be my people. So it's not just God the creator, though it is that. It's a reference to God who wants personal relationship with his people. And pride distorts our relationship with Yahweh, with the Lord. Um, and it, it does that because we, we, we see, uh, almost all theologians say that really the root of all sin is actually pride. That it is at the root of all sin. We could go back to Genesis 3 and, and see uh, the way that that plays out with uh, Adam and Eve being tempted to know what God knows. They want to be in the position of God. They don't want to subject themselves to him and his rules. And, and so they buy into the lie from the serpent that they should be able to know all that God knows. They want to be in his position. C.S. Lewis tells us about pride and this idea that it's this essential sin. He says in mere Christianity, he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And fundamentally, when our relationship with God, with Yahweh, with the Lord, is that we want to be the Lord. We want to be in control. We don't want somebody dictating to us. We don't want authority. And we live particularly in a time of anti-authority. And, and we've seen a lot of the ways that authority and all kinds of institutions and structures and families and all of these kind of things can, can be destructive when, when used inappropriately. Uh, but we then often apply that to God and we reject this idea of authority. We, we want to be in control. And pride is just, again, I mean, we could spend 15 minutes just reading through passages, warning us against pride and calling us to humility. If we just took all the passages in scripture, we could, we could just do that. It, it is... It is continually this theme that the word of God, the revelation of him calls us away from pride and to humility. Because ultimately what's, what's happening is we're not recognizing what is true about the world and about God and about us. We talked the first week as we looked at Proverbs chapter one, that the root of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is more than uh, being afraid of him. It's this 
this awe and full understanding of who he is in the world. That, that the Proverbs are given to us as this moral order, this spiritual order to the world, because the creator created the world, and he wants relationship with us, and in that relationship, he wants us to flourish. And so he's given us these directions, and he's given us his word so that we might understand what it is to live with him and to flourish. He's inviting us into what is real and true, and our pride says, no, I'm not going to recognize you as God. I'm not going to fear you. I'm not going to humble myself before you. I want to live as though I'm in control. And we might just be there uh, naturally. We might just be outright. That might be our view. But, but the reality is, even if it's not, it sneaks in regularly so that we believe you know, certain things that we want to believe about God or about his word, about his revelation of us, but we reject others because we want to be in control. Certainly, that can't be true. Maybe this part of scripture, but not this part. We're constantly tempted to pride, to rejecting that, to not believing him and to believing lies that are told to us. So not only does it then, after it distorts our relationship with Yahweh, it distorts our relationship with one another. Because pride puts us in this position of constantly needing to justify ourselves in comparison to other people. So that we're constantly wanting to believe that we're better than others. That's how we justify ourselves. It's how we feel good about ourselves. You know, the the idea that any kids at Fountain Square Prez, or any of our kids, would be below average, is like, no, no. I can't, no, my kids would never be below average, right? Always above average. Half of kids are below average, right? Just statistically speaking. That's, that's the reality. And it doesn't mean that half of... That's, that's true for kids and adults too, by the way. We want to think the same. I'm, I'm above average. And we might apply it to a category or just uh, you know, life in general. But that's not a helpful way to think about things, right? But that's what we do in our minds. We're constantly comparing ourselves in order to justify ourselves. We wouldn't want to be below average. Um, There's a great uh, quote from an Arthur Arthur Miller who wrote Death of a Salesman. He has a play called After the Fall. And there's this character, Quentin, and he uh, has become an atheist at some point, but he has some uh, really good insight uh, at this point in the play. And he says, for many years... I looked at life like a case at law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart, and then what a good lover, then a good father, finally how wise or powerful or or whatever. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that one moved on an upward path toward some elevation where, God knows what, I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict anyway, I think that now my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight and all that remained was the endless argument with oneself. This pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. Now, he gets to this point where he thinks that he is in this this just constant endless argument with oneself. This this uh, pointless litigation because he doesn't believe there's a God, but he's getting at something that I think is really true for all of us, is that we're constantly trying to prove ourselves, to justify ourselves, looking for a verdict. And that's true whether we believe there's a God or we don't. We have some sort of standard 
by which we are trying to justify ourselves entering into this endless litigation. And it too often, or maybe almost always, plays out in comparing ourselves to one another. That we justify ourselves by thinking, I'm better at my job than this person. I'm better at relationships than this person. At least I'm not like, this is justifying me. That I am doing well enough to get the verdict I want. And that's where we find ourselves regularly. And it has incredible distortion in our relationships with one another. We have to recognize and think about and evaluate the reality of what we're doing, trying to justify our lives. Recognize that, that pride is often playing a part in that, both in our relationship with the Lord and in our relationship with one another. And what are, what are then the results? What are the results of entering into this pride? Pretty clear statement in verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is the result? Destruction. The fall. Now, it, it is helpful for us to note that that's not always immediate. And, and we see that in the next verse as he goes on to say in verse 19, it is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to, to divide the spoil with the proud. What is he saying here? He's saying the, the poor here, the vulnerable, those are equated throughout scripture with the uh, with the humble, this is who God is continually reaching out to and caring for, the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, uh, the, the uh, stranger and alien. This is constantly who God is caring for. Uh, and, and he says it's better to find yourself there, uh, poor, humbled, than to be rich with the proud. So there is this recognition that for a time in this world that the proud... We see in other parts of scripture that the evil often flourish. They often do well. They, they end up with wealth. That is, that is a reality. So it's, it's not this just, you know, the moment you're proud, then the next day something terrible happens. That's not what is happening here. But there is an ultimate problem. All of scripture is, uh, has this trajectory toward an end and a final end. And there is ultimate justice. There is uh, ultimate judgment that comes that is we, we believe and thank God is justice, is God providing justice for all of us. And thankfully, through Christ, that justice doesn't fall as wrath upon us. We'll get to that in a moment. But what we find here is that destruction does come, even if it doesn't come uh, immediately. And it's because pride is a failure, again, to recognize God as God, to recognize us as the creatures to recognize the reality of the world. This has turned out to be uh, an apocryphal story, but it's still a really good uh, illustration that, that circulated uh, in both magazines and then on the interwebs for a number of years. People did think it was true, but it's, it's a helpful illustration. It's a story of uh, an aircraft carrier, a U.S. aircraft carrier in the uh, North Atlantic, and uh, it comes across a signal from the Canadians, and they, uh, they, they see that they're going to... Uh, they're on course for one another. <coughs> Excuse me. So the Americans say, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, uh, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. 
little uh, childish back and forth here. Americans say, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We're accompanied by all these other ships. You divert your course. And the Canadians say, this is a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) There's a failure to recognize the reality of the situation, right? They're headed toward a lighthouse. A lighthouse is not going to divert course. And and what would the end of that be? It'd be destruction. The ship would run aground and be destroyed. And this this is the reality. It doesn't matter... If we understand uh, and the reality, it is the reality. God is God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of the world. He is the one who has created it in such a way to know how we might flourish. And so when he calls us into a particular way of living, when he calls us to follow him, when he calls us to trust in him, when he calls us to the fear of the Lord, he is calling us to what is good and right and true. And when we fail to recognize what is good and right and true, then what happens is destruction. And it becomes this false view of not only God, but of ourselves, so that we have this overestimation of ourselves. We might think too greatly of ourselves, how smart I am, how gifted I am, which in itself is uh, a little bit of a, a, you know, should alert us to the reality. Giftedness is this term that comes from Scripture. It's a gift from God, our gifts, our talents are from God. That's where that word comes from. That's why we use it. And yet we become proud of our gifts. Or it becomes an underestimation that we might move toward shame, that we might think in this endless litigation, this constant arguing for oneself, that we have failed to live up to the standard that we're so focused on. And that leads us to shame. And yet what we find here is that humility and the opposite of pride... Uh, the opposite characteristic of pride doesn't actually lead us there. It actually can lead us to to know things and to enter into the world in a helpful way. In verse uh, 20, we see whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. In verse 21, that, that we can have discernment. We can move toward being discerning and have sweetness of speech that increases persuasiveness. That there is, even with humility, not with pride, an ability to grow in our understanding and engagement in the world. So humility doesn't mean, the opposite of pride doesn't mean saying, I can't know anything. I don't have any answers. I I can't grow in this world. I can't exercise gifts. That's not what it's saying. And yet that's often where we go. We think that because of our pride, because we're thinking too much of ourselves, we're actually not thinking enough about God and the way that he cares for us and gifts us and provides for us. And so, There's a a, a challenge here to acknowledge that there are spiritual consequences to the world in the way in which we live in it. So, you know, we can ignore a lighthouse and a boat can crash into it in the physical world. But what the scripture is telling us is that there is a physical reality to the world. And if we don't step into that reality, then uh, then there will be spiritual, moral consequences for us. So instead of pride, then we're invited into humility. What is humility? It's, it's seeing things as they are. And so it's recognizing that God is God, that he is the creator and that we're his creatures. And here, here's a beautiful truth that we find uh, in the word of God is that our humility is rooted in the fact that we're creatures. It's rooted in the fact that we're creatures with limits. And as a result, 
because it's rooted there, it is not rooted in our sinfulness. This is something that's going to help us avoid shame as well. We, we, we confess our sin every week. We think that, that stepping into that reality and recognizing the forgiveness of God that is offered each week is really important. And it actually plays into humility, but it is not the root of our humility. So that means that for us to be humble doesn't mean that we have to beat ourselves up about our sin. It means that we're just living in light of the fact that we were created and we were created with limits. That we have different gifting. That we're, that we're created differently from one another. And we talked a few weeks ago about the fact that God loves us in all of our particularity. That he cares about us as individuals and who we are and the gifting that he's given us and the way that he's made us. Even before the fall has its effects on us. So we're limited as creatures. And that's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a beautiful freeing thing to recognize that, that I'm going to be able to be around people who are gifted in different ways. They're going to be better at some things than I am. And maybe a lot of things. And, and yet, because we're able to embrace who we are as God's creatures, that allows us to have humility before him and before one another. Because even in our limits, God wants, deeply wants, a relationship with us, invites us into a relationship with him. And so that we can be dependent and and embrace the fact that we're dependent upon him and upon one another. We do not go through the world independently. We don't go through the world in control of everything that happens. We need the Lord and we need one another. And we have this lived out as an example and as a blessing to us in Jesus Christ who humbled himself to enter into this world with its limits to the point where he experienced that greatest limit, death itself. That was a humbling act for Jesus to do, to enter into the created order in that way. And that's an example for us to follow, to embrace our limits, to be humble before the Lord and before one another. And then that invites us into these incredible results. What are the results of humility? Well, one is that we... We think about the distortion of relationship. Well, actually, it then allows us to rejoice in our creator. That we would embrace wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. And humility comes before honor. This connection of fear of the Lord and humility. Those two things fit together. Recognizing him for who he is. So that we are able then to rejoice in him because he gives us honor as we live in our creaturely limits and embrace that reality, then we're able to rejoice in him. And we then also can rejoice in one another. We rejoice in constantly not having, not having to constantly compare ourselves. We can actually rejoice in the gifts expressed in one, in one another and the ways in which they can serve us and serve one another and serve the church and serve our neighborhoods and they can serve in their jobs and uh, all of the different ways we can rejoice in the gifts of others because we don't have to compare ourselves. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? And we're, we're constantly in our hyper-individualistic culture today. We're trying to find how we're different and we're unique. And, and there's some ways in which that, that's good and true to recognize that we are created by God and he loves us in all our particularity. And he goes on to say, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as you did not receive it? Again, here's this picture of God giving gifts to his people to make us different, to make us unique, 
that we might rejoice in the fact that he's given them to us, that he's blessed us in that way. And that that's true for others around us too, so that we can rejoice with and for others. How do we step into this reality? I mean, it's got to be more than just our head. Okay, God's God and we're creatures and we're limited. No, we, there are a few ways that it plays out. One is, is worship. We worship God. We recognize him. That's one of the things that we do on Sundays is we recognize him for who he is. And we rejoice in that. And, and we, we recognize our limits. And we do even recognize our, our sin and the way that that plays out. And all of that moves us toward humility. But then we also, we serve one another. We're not just going to hear a sermon like this or read a passage like this and think, okay, now I'm going to be humble. We actually have to practice it. And one of the ways that we do that is by stepping into the truth and then letting it play out. Kelly Capick in a book that he wrote, um, I just drew a blank on the title. Um, he, He says, pride ignores God as the giver of one's mind and skills, while humility gratefully employs these gifts as an expression of worship and as a way to help others. So humility leads us to worship and as a way to help others. Because what happens when we treat others with love and service, it causes self-centeredness and pride to recede. And the more we do it, the more pride recedes. So we talked in the very beginning about Pride being defined as thinking too much of ourselves when we're focused on others and how we can serve and care for them, it, it naturally causes pride to recede and allows us to rejoice in others. You know, again, one, one of the ways that um, we can, there, there are lots of ways that we can serve here at Fountain Square Presbyterian Church. And we've talked about those in the announcement time with both here in our church and Sunday school and then Meet Me Under the Bridge and gleaning at the Garfield uh, Farmer's Market, all of these things. And, and those are just some ways that we can, there are ways, many ways outside. There are ways that you can serve in your families. I mean, doing dishes, washing clothes, uh, cleaning up around the house, helping with different things that need to be done. That's a way to serve and think for others. There are just all kinds of ways that we are invited into that that then helps our pride recede. And this comes because we embrace this is this gospel message. The way that we embrace the gospel is that we, we push away our pride. We say, you know what? I can't do it on my own. I'm actually 100% dependent upon God. That embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came into this world, that he humbled himself, and that we needed that. That we need him desperately. That we cannot do it on our own, particularly for our greatest need, our spiritual need of forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of the ways in which our limits actually move from just being limits into rebellion against him, into pride that rejects him and wants to be in control ourselves. That the way that we do that is we embrace Jesus, who himself has become, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, the wisdom of God to us by humbling himself, coming into this world, coming into the mess, experiencing the limits himself. This is the thing that ultimately the gospel, what Jesus has done is the thing that ultimately fixes all distorted relationships. Most importantly, with the Lord himself and then with one another. And so as we come to the Lord's table in a moment here, there is this recognition, this reminder that we're in need, that God is one who provides for us, that he provides our 
Our sustenance is a picture of that, but it's our spiritual sustenance as well. The bread and the, and the wine represent his body and his blood broken and poured out for us that we desperately needed because we wanted to be God. That in our pride, we said, we don't need you. And he came and he died for you and for me so that we might step into what is true about ourselves and about God in this world. And we're invited to partake and remember that and experience the grace that he offers. It is an act of deep humility to, to take of the Lord's Supper and to say, I need this, I can't do it on my own. And it also is a thing that we do as the people of God together every week. It is this family meal. It is something that uh, is not something we do alone. We're drawn together in that. So let's rejoice in what he offers. Let's humbly come before him. Let's seek to recognize what is true in this world about God and us. And know that what he's offering us is fixing the distorted relationship with him and with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the incredible promises that you give. Telling us that as we move away from pride, as we recognize what is true in this world, that you do offer us flourishing. And in some sense that we might avoid the fall, that we might avoid the destruction. We pray that you would meet us, uh, take away our pride, build a mess humility. Amen.